1: And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Today we're going to be taking a look at, well, not necessarily looking at gun control, but this is a second part. I I did uh, an episode on this several weeks back, and I had a lot of great, great questions, great dialogue. It was a good discussion. No one got angry or upset or or anything like that, which is fantastic. I'm always worried about that but a very good uh, dialogue with many folks. And I think maybe some some of you out there might have the wrong idea uh, concerning my personal thoughts. I I thought those were made somewhat clear in that first episode, but maybe not. So I want to make those clear today. We are going to discuss uh, some of the questions. I'll bring those up in a moment. But first, let me preface this. I am all for... Americans owning firearms. I own several. I'm not going to list them all out here so for everyone to know, but I have rifles and I have pistols and I have ammunition. I can defend my home, and I don't want to give those up. I don't want to give those up. Now, like I said in that previous um, uh, episode, If the government says they're going to ban a particular weapon and I have it, as a Christian, I'm going to turn it over. Am I going to give up all my weapons? Well, you know, it's hard to answer things without understanding the full situation. However, what what I am against, what I did want to emphasize, or what I did emphasize, and want to continue to emphasize, is this we should not be the ones that go on the offensive as Christians. We should not be the ones that go on the offensive. And the question that came up multiple times from different sources about the last program is, Chris, what about the American Revolution? Were the founding fathers wrong in starting, they they said, starting the war with Britain? Uh, Well, there's a, several things r- not quite right with that particular question. Number one, we did not start the war. And that you may think that's semantics. It's not. That was a huge deal to all Americans. We did not start that war. The Founding Fathers did not want a war. We went out of our way to keep the peace. Um, let me pull some things up. <clears throat> the The Revolutionary War, yeah, clearly pivotal event in world history. Um, it, it, a great country came of it, obviously. But during the years pr- before the war, uh, the issue of justified rebellion was greatly being debated all all throughout on both sides of the issue. Uh, most of those who were in Britain, you know, John Wesley was the, one of the big names there. Urged restraint and pacifism. Uh, for, for us over here, on the, at the time, colonialists. While most of those over here in America are the colonialists, I should say at that time, they preached uh, the revolution. But before we get into that, I, we need to really understand Romans 13 verses one through three. So I want to do that, and I want to. I, I'm going to actually give you some of the statements from the founding fathers. They, we did not fire the first shot, not even the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. We went out of our way. We were defending ourselves. And that again, that is not semantics. That is exactly what happened. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 says this. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. To whom is taxes due? Custom to whom custom? Fear to whom fear? Honor to whom honor? So here in that first verse, the reason we must submit to authority is because it comes to us from God, God himself. Everything exists as a result of God. And since God is the ultimate authority in this universe, it's logical to conclude that he intended for there to be ranks of authority among men. Paul doesn't specify the manner of authority here. It could be in the form of kings, it could be dictators, councils, senators, republic, democracy, whatever. The point is, God is behind the concept of some having authority over others. And as Christians, we must submit to God's will. He also says there in verse 1, those which exist are established by God. Uh, Those which exist refers to all hierarchies or levels of human authority, whatever they're established or ordained. Uh, Paul's not arguing here for the divine right of kings or any special form of government. He's not doing that. But he is arguing for government and order. Nor does he oppose. He is not opposing revolution for a change of government but he does oppose all lawlessness and he opposes disorder okay that's important to understand the point is that whatever kind of government we might be under the fact of having a system of government to rule over people was something that god himself ordained and set in order we see this from the highest to the lowest levels from the White House down to the man being the head of the home. It is important to see this. And again, going back to the American Revolution, the biggest argument, and I'm going to list through all the arguments that that I see in that time, most of them I don't think had any real credence, but one did. We were defending ourselves. And that's the big one. And man, we did. And we went out of our way to keep the peace, but Britain, well, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. There at verse, uh, verse two, Paul uh, turns to the consequences of not submitting to authority. The governments have the sword. That's the Roman short sword used for execution and killing. He talks about, you know, fearing the government. it has that authority. do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same four. And you'll see that coming up like in verse four, it, government is a minister of God. It's diakonos. It's a servant of God. Later on, he uses the same word as a priest working in the temple for God. Um, I think this, the the Peter passage, uh, I can't remember that passage the top of my head. I have these other notes, but I'll look those up here in a moment. But actually, let's go ahead and let's move. We'll come back to the Romans 13 passage. I want to talk about a few of these things uh, I have here. God does not approve of everything governments do, uh, nor uh, that kings are always right. I just made that point there in those first couple of verses. Uh, but not, not just here in Romans 13, but all throughout uh, Scripture, we see this very thing. Remember when Peter and John, in Acts chapter 4, verses 19, and Acts five twenty nine, they defy the Sanhedrin. Now, if you don't know what the Sanhedrin is, that's the council that governs Israel. Rome, when they would take over a country, they allowed all countries to govern themselves, uh, except for certain things. You pay taxes to Rome, you can't execute people and a few other things, and you couldn't have a standing, uh, I don't know if you could have a standing army or not, but Rome controlled you, was your, uh, owned the, the land, but you governed yourself. And In this case, you had the Sanhedrin. There was a king, but you had a Sanhedrin. They, they were a governing authority, like a supreme court. Here, they told Peter and John, you stop preaching Christ. They defied them. They didn't follow that law. The Hebrew midwives refused to practice infant side in Exodus chapter 1 when Pharaoh wanted to kill all the newborn babies. They wouldn't do it. They defied that law. Daniel ignored the Persian law concerning prayer in Daniel 6, verse 10. His friends refused to bow to the king's image in Daniel 3, 14 to 18. We are to obey Government as a general rule, the lone ex- exception is when obeying man's law would force us to directly disobey God's law. I- I'm pretty sure we all see and understand that now in Romans thirteen as how does this pertain to the American Revolutionary War? was that war? Justified. And is revolution justified? Well, so it's important for us to understand that many of those who supported the war, the Revolutionary War, were deeply religious people. They felt they were biblically justified in rebelling against England. And let's enumerate some of the reasons. I'm going to give them all here. Just because I'm saying these reasons doesn't mean they were right. Okay, I want us to kind of examine these. Here's the first one. The colonialists saw themselves, us, they saw themselves not as anti government, but as anti tyrant. That is, they were not promoting anarchy or the casting off of all restraint. They believed Romans 13 taught that you need to honor the institution of government, but not necessarily for the individuals who ruled the government. Therefore, since they supported God's institution of government, they believe that their actions against a specific oppressive regime regime was not a violation of the general principle of Romans 13. Not true. That's not true. Um, uh, where is it at? Uh, I'm looking here on... Um, oh yeah, verse 7. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom co- custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, that's not talking about specifically the government as a whole. It's talking about those who are working in the government. Verse 3, For rulers are not cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do, do you want to have fear? no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. What rulers? Well, in the case of England, it would be the king. So this first reasoning, I don't think, is biblical, a biblical stance for them to have taken. Number 2, The the colonialists point out that it was the king of England himself who was in violation of scripture. No king who behaved so wickedly, they said, could be considered God's servant. Therefore, it was Christians' duty to resist him. Uh, Wrong. (laughs) Because Paul wrote Romans 13 during the time of the Romans being a judge. And they were tyrants. The, The Caesars were tyrants. They were and so that that, that has no volition at all. Number three, the colonialists saw the war as a defensive action and not as an offensive war, and that that is true. In, ni- in 1775 and 1776, we Americans had presented the King with formal appeals for reconciliation. Say so we weren't trying to create a new country. We were trying to be reconciled, but we wanted to be treated fairly, according to British law. These peaceful pleas were met with an armed military force and several violations of British common law and the English Bill of Rights. So they were violating their own laws against us. For example, in 1770, the British fired upon unarmed citizens in the Boston Massacre. At Lexington, the command was don't fire unless fired upon. Uh, That was what the colonialists gave. The colonialists, therefore, saw themselves as defending themselves after the conflict had been initiated by the British. I got some other ones I want to find. Where'd those go? Hang on. Sorry, I should have been more organized here. Ah, where'd it go? I had a great set of things in here. Oh, here it is. I want to read this passage, uh, another fellow, I don't have his name, but another fellow put this out, uh, talking about scriptural viewpoints that would embrace, that were embraced by most Americans during the Revolutionary Era was, quote, that God would not honor an offensive war, but that he did permit civil defense. Nehemiah chapter 4, you know, the building of the wall and the defense there, and also chapters 20 to 21, Zechariah 9, 8, 2 Samuel ten twelve. The fact that the American Revolution was an act of self-defense and was not an offensive war undertaken by the Americans remained a point of frequent spiritual appeal for the Founding Fathers. After all, Great Britain had attacked America, not vice versa. The Americans never fired the first shot, not in the Boston Massacre of 1770, the bombing of Boston and burning of Charleston in 1774, or in the attacks on Williamsburg, Concord, or Lexington in 1775. Uh, he goes on, Illustrative of this belief was the famous command to the Lexington Minutemen, this is what I was uh, hinting at a moment ago, don't fire unless fired upon. Yet, having been fired upon without having broken any law, the Americans believed they had a biblical right to self-defense. Uh, a preacher, uh, in a famous sermon he preached in the in front of the Vermont legislature in 1778, specifically noted that America had taken up arms in its own defense; that she had no that she had no initiated. I think that's supposed to be not. She had not initiated the conflict. But was only defending herself after being attacked. How true. So that's the number three. The colonialists saw the war as a defensive action. Absolutely true. No doubt about it, every historian will say that's that's exactly what happened. And I think that that, that was the best argument. And that's what the founding fathers really seem to embrace the most. You see it throughout their writings. I won't present that here. You can look those up online. But that is it. I agree. I even mentioned that in the previous program, that if a revolution ever started, I'm not going to be the one that fires the first shot. But I will defend myself. Britain violated a whole host of laws attacking the American colonialists. All we did was defend ourselves. In fact, before uh, everything really broke out and the war really began to ramp up, the, uh, the Founding Fathers were trying to reconcile things. They didn't want this. They did not want war. That's the attitude every Christian should always have. And Again, I brought this up before. I'll bring it up again. When people who get so upset about their weapons being taken away, their guns, you got to be careful there. Don't have the attitude of, you'll have to pry from my cold, dead hand. That is not the attitude that God is looking for in his servants. All right, I want to go through the rest of these. Uh, A fourth reason that they gave. Oh, here's that passage I was looking for earlier. The colonialists would read 1 Peter 2.13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. And they saw that phrase, for the Lord's sake, as a condition of obedience. Their reasoning was this. If the authority was unrighteous and passed unrighteous laws, then following them could not be a righteous thing. In other words, you cannot obey a wicked law for the Lord's sake. Um, Got to be careful there because Daniel submitted himself to the governing authority, but he would not obey laws that you know were in direct violation of God. But he continued to submit himself, even his friends, Remember, they were brought before the king, and he would say, all right, you need to bow down when the music plays. You know, not going to do it. The, the Lord will, will take care of us, and even and if, not, if not, well, still, we'll, we will not bow down to your image. And they allowed themselves to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, Daniel, you know, whatever you want to do to me, but I'm going to keep following the Lord no matter what. And he continued to submit. In the case of the American Revolutionary War, we went out of our way. People were dying. And we were still trying to reconcile to England. It just wasn't going to happen. They wanted to, us to submit in a, in a uh, too harsh of a way. they say, no, that's against the law. We, we, we can't do that. Please, let's talk about this. Let's reconcile. Nope, we're going to shoot you. And then we're going to blow up and burn down your cities. And we're going to come after everyone. And so eventually we just thought, we got to keep defending ourselves and then we end up making our own uh, government. God is not against revolution, I think, in that case. I think Romans 13 makes that clear. Because what is the purpose here? You can't get make this too specific in Romans 13. God ordained governments to bring order. As long as, that gov- as the government is bringing order, you, I don't think we can revolt against the government can't do that. But if your government is not bringing order then you need to do all you can. In our case we can vote we can let people know the truth we can be out there and uh, preaching the truth on, on what needs to happen but when they start arresting us against the law of constitutional law, when they start shooting at us and killing us you can defend yourself. You can defend yourself. Number five, the colonialists saw Hebrews 11 <laughs> as justification for resisting tyrants. Um, and it, you know what? That is a, There are some good things there. Um, Gideon, for example, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, the, the, all these judges, the heroes of faith, they were all in, involved in overthrowing oppressive governments. Now, in their cases... God sent to them a revelation, uh, revealing to them, "You do this." We don't have that anymore. Okay, God does not tell us in the New Testament, "You go do this." He does say, "Submit." We ought to be at peace. Submit to the governing authorities. Uh, they're, they're they're there for bringing order and peace. Now they have, they don't hold the sword for nothing, but there are t- are going to be times when that government. Uh, moves away from that biblical standard. Definitely safe to say, I think, that the American patriots who fought against England were fully convinced that they had biblical precedent and scriptural justification for their rebellion. I think their view of Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 was faulty in some parts. Uh, There are no provisions concerning obedience in, in those passages. It was the popular preaching of the day, you know, But at the same time, that self-defense argument, number three, is a convincing, substantial, rational idea for the war. I agree with that. I don't agree with uh, all the other ones, all of them. I don't agree with them. Number three, self-defense, yes. I agree with that. Even if, let me just stop that one there. There is a, a lot to look at course, The radio program here, program here is a lot shorter in time. We're at 23 minutes. i got a few more minutes. But I encourage you to, to read up on this. Uh, don't just don't. I, I want your feedback. I want you. I'm going to post this on Facebook. Feel free to comment on the passage there. Uh, or the, the uh, Facebook post there. Let me know your thoughts. But I'm in full agreement with the American Revolution. I do believe they had a, a, a right for what they did. They were defending themselves. And um, be be careful when you throw out those questions. I I appreciate the questions that were put out there. or People were asking me, and I had good dialogue with them. But that was kind of out of context with what I was saying. That first radio program I did was context of gun control, and it had to do with um, everything that was going on uh, with the El Paso shooting, the Dayton, uh, uh, Ohio shooting and that they're just not that strong of a connection to the American revolutionary war with the government coming to take our guns everyone has this idea that they're coming to take everything think about that is that even possible to take every weapon in in the United States is that possible no i don't think that's possible uh, and it's just not going to fly. But yeah, there's always that possibility that they're just trying to baby step this and do it over time. Um, but you know, just make one other point that some people had brought up as far as gun controls go go. T- would taking guns away have stopped any of those massacres? No, no, because who's going to turn in their guns? People who who abide by the law. People who don't abide by the law are not going to turn in the gun. So all you're going to do is disarm law-abiding citizens, and those who are not law-abiding will continue to be armed. And we're just become more defenseless. So that's, it's a silly thing. It's just silly. But it is what we're dealing with. Now, of course, we're talking about the revolution. Are we allowed to have a revolution? Yes. Yes, we are. But I think the only reason, and again, I'll say this the first time, is in self-defense. Well, Chris, I'm self-defending my, my gun rights. Well, I don't think that's a good argument. Because that's really going to be your argument. I'm going to keep my way. Well, that's a, uh, a, a Second Amendment violation. i want to go ahead and throw this out there. This is going to sound very harsh. Uh, but this is, I think, accurate. Why would you be willing to go to war and kill people so you can keep your gun, but not be willing to go to war to save an unborn child? I think uh, that's something to think about. Let us redeem the time. Let us make the most of every opportunity that God presents before us. Please comment on this. Please let me know your thoughts. Let's keep it civil. And if I need to, I'll do another program Thank you again, everyone, for being here. If you want to, go to www.nvcoc.net and click on the radio mic. You can listen to this program, the previous programs, the other gun control program I had. And if uh, you want to join me on Facebook, Chris Macy, uh, I think it's chris.macy or something, you can find me on Facebook and uh, you can friend me there and find the program and comment if you like. Thank you very much and may the Lord bless your day. Sin and doubt to sweep away till she on, on the better day.
0: day. Ring
1: it out, Bring
0: it out, bring it, it, it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it, out, ring, it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it
1: out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.